God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose, stream, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, now we go to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 5, and it's on page 687, the mountain of the Lord. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mount of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, Lord, be with us as Rosie's prayed for us. Amen. Scripture teaches us both in the Old Testament and the New that one day God through the Messiah will administer his government from earth and all nations will come under the banner of Jesus. It says in Revelation right at the end, spoil it for you if you're still getting there, um, behold the dwelling place of God is amongst mortals. He will be their God and they will be his people. In Isaiah, which we've just heard read, he will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many people. That there is a time coming at some point in the future where war will end because there will be a fair and just king who rules on this earth and settles disagreements both between nations that apparently will continue to happen and also between people. 
Uh, interestingly, in, in those few verses, it says, from Zion, from Jerusalem, they will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up, war, take up sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore. On Remembrance Day, it's, it's good to reflect on the courage of what some have called the golden generation of the First and Second World War. The many who fought nobly, the many stories of selflessness and sacrificial love. And thinking particularly of the Second World War, um, the great evil. I don't think it's an exaggeration or hyperbolic to call National Socialism a demonically influenced ideology that was defeated. But it's also a time to reflect on the horror of war and to say that must never happen again, to pray for the Lord's return and in the meantime to say to each other and invite the world that call at the end of the reading Pam read, come, O descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Is this, is this, should I change microphones, Nick, or is it, it's, it's okay, okay. <laughs> I've, I've thought a lot recently about the second coming of Christ, um, and in, in recent times I've realized that uh, it's one of the doctrines of faith that I struggle with the most in regards to doubt. I, I think it's important to say, like many, and possibly most honest Christians, I, I struggle with doubt in my faith. Um, and the second coming of Christ is something that uh, I, often, I often wonder about. Uh, of course, I, I, I want Jesus to return, but I found I don't live with an expectation that he might. I don't wake up in the morning and think, it might be today. It might be today. And yet, when I read the history of the church, there's many points, and maybe when the church is at its most lively and vital, they live with a great expectation that it could be today, that, that Jesus is moving towards us. Um, I've had a number of conversations this week with other Christians, some church leaders. I asked one church leader who, as a colleague of mine, I said, do you, um, do you ever struggle with doubt about the second coming of Christ? And they said, no. <laughs> and I said, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, and I, I suppose I'm talking, I want to tease out what lies underneath my doubts because I do believe in the supernatural power of God to influence this world. So that's not the problem. I do believe that it's very clear in Scripture uh, that, that one day the promises and prayers that Christians have prayed for 2,000 years, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will be answered. I think that's a very clear promise and prayer and hope. And so, uh, and, and the dwelling place of God will be amongst people because heaven and earth will become one. It's the most amazing promise and thing to look forward to. And I have realized the main reason for my doubt is I am enamored, I'm in love with human progress. Apparently, only 4% of British people think the world is getting better. I am amongst that 4% of people who think the world is getting better. You might have your own opinions. Um, uh, I think what has occurred in the last 200 years is 
is amazing, is remarkable. Suffering, human suffering reduced on any metric that you can measure it on. That, did you know that more people died a violent death in the 19th century than in the 20th century, despite the world wars that we know about, the holocausts, uh, the communist experiments, because the world was a more violent place in the past and is becoming, despite what we might see in our TV screens, is, is becoming less violent over the past 200 years. So many more people can read, have access to water. And this, that is not to say that this world is not a hell for some people, but it is to say that over the past 200 years, many people have been on a journey out of what was hell. Uh, the past being a cold, dark, and short life for many people. This is an, ext- an extraordinary fact. Um, 99% less people die from extreme conditions, so that be uh, famine, earthquake, volcano, tropical storms, extreme cold, extreme heat. 99% less people die now than died 100 years ago from extreme uh, conditions. I find that absolutely mind-boggling as a statistic and is a, a testament to... Uh, NGOs to charities, but also to human progress. Most of that is having solid buildings that people can shelter in, which people simply didn't have, uh, and ways to get food to people when they need it in times of famine. And here's where things get tricky for me. I have found that... (laughs) This is actually quite embarrassing, because it's almost to say it feels a bit shameful because it seems so silly. Part of me, part of my doubt around the second coming of Christ is I, I don't want this thing to be interrupted. I think, where might we be in another 200 years or another 2,000 years uh, if we carry on on the Enlightenment train? Uh, where might we get to? Uh, and the reason why I'm embarrassed by this is, is there is a story about this in the Bible, and it, it's called the Tower of Babel, where People conspire together to build a tower so high that they might reach the heavens and they're in so doing thinking they would become like God. And I'm not going to tell the Tower of Babel story. Some of you may may be familiar with it. Um, Many people think that human progress is a myth. They don't believe in it. It seems that very clever people often think that human progress is a myth. Maybe I'm not clever enough to think it is. Uh, I don't think it is. I I could argue or talk with you for hours about why I, I, I think something extraordinary has happened in the past 200 years since the Enlightenment. And yet, I recognize in it, that idea, a, a very seductive trap. It's an idea that took hold of Europe before the First World War, that things are getting better and better with people high on the heady humes, fumes of technological progress and that dream came crashing down on the killing fields of Psalm and Ypres. I believe our ability, especially since the Enlightenment, to bring order out of chaos and to make a desert bloom is what it means, partly what it means to be made in the image of God. It's original goodness. (laughs) Original creativity. And yet, There is also a part of us, whatever word we use, might use 
sin, original sin, uh, brokenness, even evil, is something that lurks in the human heart. I read a fascinating book last year called Ordinary Men, Police Battalion 101. It's a book about a police battalion in Nazi Germany made up of cobblers and factory owners, goes into the biography of each man, uh, bakers, really ordinary men who are tasked with rounding up the Jews and killing many and, putting, and taking others to concentration camps in Poland. Um, and the, the book uh, goes through a, a litany of the most awful things that these people do, to, particularly to Jewish people. But it also goes to great lengths to describe how these people were not ideologues. They were not disciples of national socialism. They were ordinary men who did the most extraordinarily evil things. And the conclusion of the book, uh, shaken me since reading it, to be honest, is uh, it's, it's a warning um, for those that might judge those who perpetrated wicked things in the past. It's a warning that if you were there, you probably would have done the same because most people did. And most people who called themselves Christians did. You might know Alexander Solzhenitsyn who wrote the Gulag Archipelago talking about communism, his, his uh, what happened to him during, in, in Soviet Russia. He, he writes in the middle of it. <laughs> I have actually read it just because I wanted to say that I read it. But it's a very, very long book. It's Russian, so... Yeah, uh, he says in the book um, a, a quote. It's, I've heard it often quoted that uh, if only there were some evil people out there that we might be able to destroy, and then we would have peace on this earth. He said, if only it were so simple. But the line between good and evil doesn't lie between nations or religion or ideologies. It runs through every human heart, and who can tear out their own hearts? It's not only the Germans that did atrocious things in the Second World War. The bomber command of the RAF killed 60,000 people in one night in the firebombing of Dresden. I find it fascinating how I didn't learn about that in school, but learned about it subsequently. Two million German civilians killed indiscriminately by bombs and incendiaries. The USA, in, uh, we, we know an awful lot about Nagasaki and Hiroshima, but as many people died in the firebombing of Tokyo, one night, 100,000 people died and a million made homeless. And uh, it's not very long ago, 70 years, 75 years, not long ago, two generations. And I think... It is with the utmost naivety that we think we may have changed, <laughs> that we, th we may have had human progress in regard to the human heart. I was two weeks ago at a fundraiser at Bradford University for Palestine. I was there in a capacity as a, as a chaplain. And I, like many, just utterly heartbroken and bewildered about what is happening to Palestinians in Gaza, particularly to children. But I left really troubled by the anti-Semitism that I heard from 
many, not, it wasn't isolated. It was from many people. Uh, some in, in chants that were being chanted and in conversations. Uh, no, there is only nine million Jews on this planet and seven million of them live in Israel. And six million died in the Holocaust. Where is the human progress that in 21st century Britain there remains in the hearts of many people, it seems, a deep hatred for Jews? Remembrance is a time to allow ourselves to grieve over war and grieve over the death of of people. But it's also a time to allow ourselves to be angry as well as grieve, especially with the untimely death of innocence, of, of young men cut down in the prime of life, in the millions. It's just very difficult to imagine that. And in Gaza, for the death of so many children, anger at all those who die in the cobalt mines of the Congo so that we can have batteries. Jesus stood at the graveside of his friend Lazarus and nearly all translations say he was deeply troubled. It's almost like any translator is embarrassed to translate the Greek word correctly or, or more, more, uh, more simply. It is to say that Jesus was furious with anger. It's actually a word, uh, it, it, the word is... Um, denotes a, a snorting wild beast, an angry snorting wild beast. He's, he's absolutely, he's, he's apoplectic uh, at death, he's furious at death. And he, he allows the fullness of his emotions to be moved, even though he knows he's about to raise this man from the dead because he is he's human and he never stops being human and he loves like perhaps no other human has ever loved before you know the uh, poet Dylan Thomas do not go gentle into that good night but rage rage against the dying of the light so I've been I've been greatly challenged this week as I've thought about the second coming of Christ and I worry that I have inadvertently fallen into the trap that many people in the past have fallen into and maybe actually as a whole country and western civilization we've fallen into uh, so the foundational myth of the tower of babel it might even be the essence of sin is to make an idol out of human progress or the power of humanity and lurking beneath that is the sin of rebellion that whispers in every human heart we could be God. We could, I could be God. It's at the root of Nietzsche's madman, if you know that story, uh, of the madman that runs into the square and says, God is dead and we have killed him. On this day of remembrance, I find myself, as I was thinking about speaking, repenting of the ways that human progress have become like a God to me and perhaps... Therefore, God has become smaller. And that's something I see across the whole Western world, is God has become smaller as we put our trust in ourselves. As we look at Gaza, at Ukraine, at Sudan, the Congo, at the Uyghurs of China, 
and many other simply horrific things that happen in our time on this day of remembrance. I think part of our prayers must be Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, please return quickly. Come set your gentle and just rule amongst us. Make an end to war, to bloodshed, to injustice. And as we wait and pray, the prophet speaks to us. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen.